Welcome everybody to another episode of Marketing Management and Money. Uh, as Ryan Murray puts it, all things small business. As I put it, it's money always comes first. So greedy little bugger. <laughs> I'm not greedy. You know, I give plenty of my money away. Just not to you. <laughs> so um, we're in the process of doing a number of episodes on a, a book that uh, Ryan has written called Startup Marketing. Um, and we wanted to go through, well, I wanted to. Ryan's been kind enough to appease me and why haven't, you know, as we talked in early episodes, that I was surprised he hadn't ever really done in much of his podcasts on this one. And so I've kind of forced it down his throat and he's been kind enough to swallow the red pill. But um, <laughs> so, so today, anyways, we want to cover, I want to go over, so we, in the previous episode, we kind of went over through that uh, introduction and kind of give a, an overview of everything. I want to get into the meat of it um, and start with that section one, which is all on the planning process and specifically start because the first part of the planning process, you, you take a little bit of time to talk about the startup phase. Uh, you define, you know, a little bit why it's different from a growth or maturity or another phase that um, a business is going to go through um, in that process. So, Let's kind of start there, if that's okay. Yeah, and honestly, this is subtle, but it's one of the foundational points of this book and one of the foundational points that I would hope that any entrepreneur would understand, and that is that there's a big difference between startups and non-startups, and this is rarely actually recognized in the real world. People put all of them into this category of small business, and... The idea is that all small businesses are dealing with the same kinds of challenges. This makes about as much sense as saying that a toddler and a teenager are both, you know, they have the same needs as your children. Like, yeah. I treat a toddler very differently than I treat a teenager, even though they're still children. They're not, right. they're not independent adults living on their own, but there are these phases. And so the, the startup phase... The biggest differences to keep in mind with the startup phase is that you are paving a path. And what this means is it means that you don't necessarily have the best uh, data to reference. You're kind of, you know, using some intuition, some, you know, that gut feel is uh, really navigating you. But you kind of want to get away from that as much as possible. You want to incorporate data, and that'll be covered more in, in the book, especially on the market research section uh, that, that we're going to cover here in a little bit. But, you know, understanding that even as a startup, you shouldn't just wing it. You really should have, and that's, that's why this section is called the planning process, is because there should be a plan to it. Uh, but some of the other things to recognize as a startup, and, and I, you know, I mean, all this is mentioned in the book, but I'm kind of emphasizing a few things that, that really stand out to me, is the fact that startups are naturally inefficient. And it's important to understand that whatever you do as a startup is going to have a learning curve. And because it has a learning curve, it's going to cost you more. It's going to have higher risk. It's going to be more difficult to produce. And it's important to just be aware of that and not, I see a lot of overconfidence in entrepreneurs that they're like, oh, you know, I've started businesses before, or we can't fail because this idea is so good or whatever, you know, whatever the mindset is. But the truth of the matter is, I don't care who you are, if, unless you're Superman, um, 
then, you know, and I think that's referenced in the book. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about just that word startup because a lot of people don't understand or use different definitions of what a startup is. And too often people think that, well, hey, you know what, if I am within my first year, I'm a startup. Yeah. Right. Or, hey, if I uh, haven't made a certain level of sales, I'm still a startup. Or, hey, if if I registered my business in the last X amount of time, I'm a startup. Yeah. But, but you put a different definition on what a startup really is based around marketing mm-hmm. um, that I think really helps paint some clarity on uh, how you should view where you're at and what stage you're in as you move forward. And, and this is interesting because as you, as you explained, a lot of people put those definitions and I find that most of them have to do with an amount of time. And it's sort of this idea that if my business has been in existence for a certain period of time, I'm now no longer a startup. I'm like, no. It really does boil down to that marketing thing, which boils down to having enough sales to stand on your own two feet. Now, I'm not a big advocate of driving your financials by sales, but I am a big advocate of understanding that sales is the starting point for the company. And so the sales are going to generate the profits. They're going to lead to the cash flow. And that's, you know, and, and, and I really should clarify, it's going to lead to the cash flow, not to the cash. That's, there, there's a nuance there. And, and again, when we, when we talk about, uh, I think it's section three, when it, you know, talks about limited cash, uh, we'll get into why that matters. But understanding at what point can you stand on your own two feet? Uh, at what point are you self-sustaining? If you look at a bicycle you know, how much momentum do you have to have for the bicycle to stay upright and not tip over? It's got to be, you know, you got to be going fast enough, pedaling fast enough. If you look at any kid learning to ride their bike and they're super wobbly, like that's kind of the startup is like, it's super wobbly, still has some training wheels on. And so staying with that analogy, you talk (laughs) about a lot of businesses actually think that they're doing well, sales are coming in but yet they still have a subsidy or the idea that they still have training wheels on yeah, or training wheels or my parents holding onto the back seat as I'm going. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I don't tip over. Yeah. Yeah. But, but these subsidies sometimes mislead people about uh, how far they really are in that process. Which is sort of funny. Um, I grew up, my parents a little bit old school and they were very much against training wheels on a bicycle. They're like, you'll never learn to ride your bicycle correctly if you use training wheels. And we know that that's not the case because you cannot distinguish whether someone used training wheels or not in terms of how well they ride a bicycle. And so there's no correlation here. It's sort of like this mentality. And and I bring this up to, you know, talk about – you're laughing because I bet your parents (laughs) did the same thing. I'm laughing because uh, it reminds me of when you went fishing with your dad or your grandpa and they're like, shh the fish will hear you. <laughs> As you get older, you realize the fish can't hear crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just getting them to sh- get you to shut up. <laughs> that's why I'm laughing. Sorry. Oh, uh, that's, that's, that's too funny. You know. But, uh, you know, so when you look at training wheels on a business or subsidies and, you know, whether you're getting a subsidy from free labor or free rent or, you know, you're working out of your garage or your basement or your uh, spouse is doing all the bookkeeping. I mean, these are, these are the common ones. But as you get in those subsidies, there's nothing wrong with those subsidies. There is nothing wrong with getting some support to help the business 
to get past that startup phase, you know, sooner. But the mistake is when you take the subsidy for granted and don't recognize that it is a subsidy. I, you know, I've seen businesses that are fully fledged businesses that still aren't paying their spouse, even though their spouse is spending, you know, five hours a week balancing the books. Like, uh, yeah, they need to be on payroll because they are an employee of the company. Make them a contract employee. And, And they never get past that subsidy mentality. And so it's like, it's like someone's still riding their bike with the training wheels on and you're looking at it and you're like, you're good enough. Take the training wheels off. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's, well, I like what you point out is, is that in that scenario, um, yeah, you might be bringing in some sales and it might look somewhat profitable, but all of a sudden if you have to shift that money to pay an accountant, you're no longer it, self-sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're not as profitable as you thought you were. Right. Because you're you're kind of in this make believe land of you know kind of taking advantage of a situation. Yeah. If that's part of the plan, great. If it's not part of the plan, that's a problem. You know? Well, and I think a lot of people uh, feed themselves a little fairyland myth that oh hey we're gonna just do it for a minute, and then you know we won't have to pay our you know then we can pay ourselves right, mm-hmm. but they don't put timelines on that. And so um, now they've gone a year. I think you have a story one time and they were like into six years or something, still hadn't paid themselves some stuff, but so they're into it a year. They haven't paid some, and that should be one of those checks and balances say, Hey, wait a minute. If we're, if we're really in this planning process, um, what part of the plan is breaking down so that we're not getting to that point? Um, Or what part of, in our case, because we want to stay focused on marketing, what part of marketing isn't generating enough sales for us in order to, to, to make it so that we're self-sufficient. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of want to jump forward a little bit in this chapter. Um, you know, we talk about the planning process and I think a lot of people misunderstand when I come down pretty harsh on business plans and advisors (laughs) and, you know, it's it's not intended to criticize anyone. Uh, the The intent here is to point out that the plans don't always lead to that self sustaining. Uh, you know, like the marketing approach of generating enough sales to be self sustaining to get out of the startup phase. Like this this natural progression of the business. I.e., you know, like yeah. the the little baby who becomes a toddler, who becomes a little kid, who becomes a teenager. You yeah. know, it's a natural process, right? And uh, and so there's a lot of uh, you know professionals. They're gonna hit heavy on a business plan. And I point out in the book why business plans are not marketing plans and why, unfortunately, they're not usually used as plans. They're, they're, right. they're used as tools to get funding. Um, they're used as, you know, some sort of requirement or threshold that must be met prior to starting a business. But they're not really used as a useful tool in strategy, in managing the business. And, and that's an important thing. Uh, I'm personally not an advocate of a formal business plan. I prefer more fluid business plans. Right. And, uh, and I think that marketing, so to me, a good business plan is driven by the marketing section that leads to the financials 
and it's all powered by a good management team. Now, that goes beyond the scope of this book, and so I don't necessarily want to go into that in depth, but I do want to hit on the fact that a lot of mistakes are made in the business planning process thinking that that's an actionable plan for the small business. Well, and that's, so let's keep digging into that one for a little bit longer, if you're okay. And that is, is that when people start this planning process, uh, a lot of the problem can be associated with with who they go and talk to about the plan. Correct. Right? Yes. And, and it's important to understand, um, like the background of the person they're talking to. If you're talking to a banker about getting a loan, that banker has one objective in mind, protecting their loan. They want to get their loan paid back. And, you know, there's some examples brought up in the book of, uh, you know, some, uh, some businesses that received some, uh, you know, some loan funding that they thought was based on a good plan when in reality it was just based on their personal assets. Uh, but the idea is, you know, when you're saying, who are you talking to? It doesn't make the banker wrong. It doesn't make the banker, you no, know. But, but the argument goes is that the banker doesn't care about the marketing plan. The banker cares about the financial piece. And if the numbers match there, you know, and align with what they're looking for, no matter what you said in the marketing plan, they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. If, if you've backed up the loan with a personal asset guarantee, they don't, they don't care, care how successful this business is. Right. They just want their loan paid back. Right. But if you go to an angel investor, of course they want their money back, but they now they're going to focus more on, more likely on a, the marketing piece. Mm-hmm. Okay, how you're going to move it into the market, how you're going to grow it through the market, your distribution channels, other things like that, because that will become significant in making sure that the company has the growth needed to, so that they can get their investment back. So one of the things that I find really interesting is that... Um, you know, you mentioned angel investors. We've talked about bankers, but there's a lot of uh, family money that gets invested into startups. And again, they're not looking at the marketing plan most of the time. Yeah, they don't have a right. background in your business. They tend to not have a business background altogether. And a lot of times they're just investing in you due to a personal relationship, whether that be guilt or hope or, you know, whatever. Like, uh, okay, if this will finally get you to move out of my basement, I'll invest in whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, so many entrepreneurs feel like people are scrutinizing their plan. They're like, well, you know, I gave them my plan and then they invested in it. I'm like, no, they invested in you not necessarily in the plan. So be careful there, you know, get someone to scrutinize the plan to really look at what that plan actually is. So now you share an idea that, um, sorry, I got to gather my thoughts on this one so I can coin the question right. The idea that you share is that so often an individual works on their financials and then they match their marketing plan to the financials. Yeah. When that's completely wrong, that someone should be, making sure that they develop the marketing plan uh, and then building their financials from what they understand um, that they, you know, for what they understood and what they learned from doing the marketing or the marketing plan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you said, you said that correctly. So if you look at the natural flow, marketing leads to sales, sales leads to profits. And so if I am trying to put together my financials, 
It's ultimately how good is my marketing that's going to generate those sales that's going to lead to those profits. If I come up with a break-even calculation, and we, in, in the book, this gets covered in more depth in some later sections, but you know, if, if I'm trying to hit break-even with my startup, and I start with the break-even point and work my way backward, then I'm not actually... Now, this isn't terrible if you're using that as a gauge to see how much marketing you have to do to produce break-even, but it does become a mistake when you just fabricate the marketing in order to, you know, say, oh yeah, we'll, we'll clear it. And, 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 and in this section, uh, there's a point where I talk about, I've seen a lot of business plans that just start listing different advertising yeah. mediums. Yeah. Radio, newspaper. Social media. They put flyers up around the neighborhood. Yeah, blah, word blah, of blah. mouth, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, and they just start listing and, stuff. And it's just a canned response. Yes, and the first thing that I would say is, do you have any idea how expensive that is? Social media is one of my favorite because everyone's like, well, social media is free. It doesn't cost anything. <laughs> it costs a lot of time. Well, and if you want any progress on it. So I look at these big tech companies. They are multi-billion dollar companies because they make money off of something. <laughs> It's, uh, it's not called. likes that are making the money. Like someone's paying for them to be multi-billion dollar companies, some That's of the right. biggest companies on the face of the earth. And so if you think it's free, I'm like, no, they have a very lucrative model. And and so and it doesn't make so, it bad. So you just me, need to understand that that's Well, let me expensive. reiterate this again, because I'll probably do this multiple times as we go through this one. And that is marketing that most people see on the streets by large companies is the wrong type of marketing for a startup business. Yes. So I'm going to, I'll re- probably cover that a thousand times to get that through people's head that, that in you're in that startup phase, if, since we're talking about a book that's on startup marketing, if you're in that startup phase, how you market is got, has to be different than a mature or a growth company. Yeah. And too often we look at other people out there doing something without putting any merit to, are they where we're at or are they not? What, what were they doing in the beginning that allowed them to get to there? See what I mean? We just look at what they're currently doing. Yeah. And so, you know, I look at, I'm going to use the example of like sponsorships. Yeah. Sponsorship is a, is a prime example of something that does not make sense for a startup, but does make sense for an established company that has years, if not centuries behind it. I mean, some of these companies are old and so they are really pushing on brand awareness. That's what they're after. But a startup has no brand. And so brand awareness of something that has no brand is really dumb and a waste of money. And so, you know, to your point, it's a, it's a different marketing strategy that needs to be put into that marketing plan. And just listing a whole bunch of stuff is not a strategy. That's, you know. Right. right. So that's kind of one of the first mistakes you list that people make as they're putting together that marketing plan. Um, then you go into, you know, you, you talk about another big mistake that a lot of people make, and, and that is um, when it comes to their market research. Mm-hmm. That is, they go through, um, they don't understand the, the market research, so hence when they implement data from a, a Google market research surface level, it's inaccurate and it causes problems down the road. So the big thing to note there is that startups operate on a very small micro scale. 
market research is compiled usually on a macro scale. It's very large. And so, uh, you know, the example that's given in the book is about a coffee chain. And, yeah. you know, whereas uh, coffee sales were trending up in the U.S., in this particular small town, they didn't need another coffee shop. They already had enough coffee shops. And so, and there's also a big difference, you know, if I'm opening up a, a coffee shop, uh, you know, am I competing against the beans and brews or Starbucks or am I just, you know, filling a gap because the next closest coffee shop is 20 miles away? And, and so understanding the correct type of market research is very critical to the success of a marketing plan. And it is pointed out that uh, we cover market research in detail in Section 5 of the book, uh, really explaining how to do that market research. But in this section of the book, it's just important to understand that, again, you're a startup, small business, you play by different rules. That includes on the market research side of things. And so going through some of these major databases that you're going to see that, you know, I mean, these databases, you can find them with your local university. A lot of libraries are going to have access to them. And you can, you know, even Google searches are going to, you know, provide some good information. But that's not the right information for you. You you want to go uh, with you know, primary market research specific to your small business. And I, and I like the analogy that you used um, about the ocean and ships. You know, as, as these economic waves come through, uh, an ocean liner handles it completely different than a small little 12-foot fishing boat <laughs> that we use on lakes in, you know, in the Mountain West. Yeah. So um, when those waves come, uh, it just is devastating for small businesses where a larger, you know, business just can ride that wave long enough to, to make it through it and, and does just fine. But if you're a small business trying to compete, uh, you know, um, in that type of an ocean, you, you're always going to get swamped. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so let's talk a little bit about, um, take a few minutes and talk about some, some rules then. So as we're starting this planning process and we want to start working on our marketing plan, um, we want to make sure that kind of rule number one for me is, I'm always going to go back to that research in the data, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that um, it's based around our size of business has relevance to our, you know, location where we're going to be doing business um, so that it's, it doesn't paint this false sense of hope. Yeah. So um, I think in connection with that, uh, and I mean, if you want to, you know, uh, quantify these, this could be rule number two, but the importance of connecting the dots, your marketing needs to be connected to yeah. your financials yeah. Yeah. and, um, and there needs to be a very clear connection. If, if anyone asks, what is a marketing plan? What is a business plan? It literally is the paint by numbers, connecting the dots, how to guide for your business. And so if I'm going to say that I'm going to use, uh, you know, like trade shows to, you know, get the word out for my, you know, for my startup business, then I need to quantify how many trade shows I'm going to do. I need to quantify how many leads I'm hoping to get from each trade show. And then I need to quantify how many leads I'm going to convert into a sale And then I really should calculate the lifetime value of that customer or that sale and start to project my financials. 
Now, a lot of that went way beyond the scope of this book, but um, it really is important to connect the dots. And that's section two gets into how to connect the dots at a, you know, at, at a basic level. Because if, if you're looking at, holy cow, how do I calculate, li- calculate lifetime value of a customer? I'm like, well, no, that's not, the, that's not the aim of this book. The aim of this book is to say, okay, understand that that's the direction you want to go. And then when we get into section two, that's going to start to put together an actual process right. uh, or an actual formula that you can use to, you know, to start doing those calculations. Now, you, you wrap up this first section of planning with something that's a little bit painful, and that's called <laughs> humility. <laughs> that, Which I have so much of. <laughs> that, Just ask my wife. <laughs> And your best friends. <laughs> so, but you know that humility, being having the the mental maturity to have the humility to recognize that, hey, wait a minute, my market research or other data or as I'm going through this planning process, that I have some red flags. Yeah. Right. And and too often because you know the the because the reality of it is if you don't have the humility, what really happens is you invest 500, you know, you, you take a loan for $500,000. Okay. So now you have that debt, but in order to try to survive, you incur another 500,000 to a million dollars. So by the time that this thing falls on its face, you're well into it over 500,000. It's, it's millions of dollars that yeah. now you have to try to, to salvage and or pay off or deal with, you know, because of your arrogance and not, you know, saying, oh, yeah, it's just a great idea and everyone's going to do this one, right? Versus backing it with some humility to say, oh, wait a minute, I got a red flag. This is a problem. And, and, and I think something that I hope the reader or the listener of the book understands is that I cannot give you a guaranteed path for success. But I can eliminate a lot of pitfalls, known pitfalls, and so it can improve your chances for success. It can also limit how much is invested that is high-risk investment. So, you know, I, I can't take a business and say, okay, this business is going to work. But I can take that same startup concept and say, how about we do it at a, uh, you know, at, at a lower scale and prove out the model? So, you know, using your hypothetical numbers of, okay, you know, we started with $500,000, I oftentimes find, and, and we'll see this, there's an example later on in the book, I, uh, it's toward the end of the book, where it talks about you know some entrepreneurs that uh, they didn't have enough capital and they had no more access to capital. And so what they ended up doing is they ended up coming up with a method or a process to launch their startup for significantly less and it ended up being a better startup and cost them less money. And so, you know, w- what I would say in, in this level of humility that, you know, is kind of referenced at the end of this chapter uh, is don't necessarily give up on an idea, but look at it. And if you think it needs $500,000, figure out a way to do it for $200,000. You know, lo- look at it and, and just beat those numbers down. And, and I, I hit on that theme throughout the book is this idea that you really don't have to go big or go home, like be smart about it. Uh, take smaller steps, you know, crawl before you walk, walk before you run. 
and uh, and and it's just it's just a better approach for startups. It can alleviate a lot of the risk, a lot of the loss that comes with so many startups. Great. Well, thanks. Uh, so that's just a, a brief overview of that uh, chapter one, section one of the book on that planning process. Uh, the next episode, we'll, we'll touch on that, the next section two, which is the marketing approach. Um, you know, kind of the, I guess, maybe do's and don'ts and the models that maybe you want to look at as you're doing that. Um, yeah, so cover se- that. section two gets into a little bit more of the how-to. You know, section yeah. one is just kind of pointing out a few things of like, hey, this is this is what you need to be aware of. Uh, so if you're looking for some meat and potatoes, section two gets more into the meat and potatoes. Good. Well, thanks for letting me pr- uh, pick your brain and pry some information out of you today. And uh, looking forward to further conversations about uh, your book and the, and the sections that are to come. So thanks, everyone, for joining us again today. Take care.